You can stay seated. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read. We're going to ask the Lord to bless His Word. And then we're going to get right into this text. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. May God bless the reading of his word. We'll be going for, through 14, from 14 through 21. And we're going to go ahead and get started in verse 14. But let me set the stage for you. This is important that I do this. The backdrop. The scene. I want you to imagine it. I want you to imagine the authority that's in this passage, the scripture and the power that's in this passage. The courage on behalf of Peter and the eleven that were standing with him. The boldness. The preacher, proclaimer. The one without fear, standing resolute, resolute as a lion standing over his prey, as a national monument stands without moving. Simon Peter stands before thousands upon thousands of people, filled with the Spirit of God and addresses them with the gospel message. See him there, the fisherman from Galilee. Next to him are 11 more ordinary men that had spent time with Jesus, that knew who he was. Peter stands without hesitation to preach the truth of Jesus Christ here in our passage. This is the same Simon Peter who denied Jesus three times, once to a young lady. Y'all remember that? He denied him three times, but now will declare him the rest of his life. He denied him three times, but now he's going to declare him. This is Simon Peter. The one that cut off the ear of the servant. And then denied Christ three times and now we are going to see that he is not going to be fighting with swords anymore, but he is going to be fighting with the true sword. The word of God, the spirit of truth is going to proceed from his mouth and it is going to cut the heart of those that he is going to be in contact with. Simon Peter, the fisherman, the ordinary, the Galilean, the one that was unlearned is about to preach one of the greatest messages ever. Filled with the Spirit, standing before a multitude, some of the very same multitude that shouted out at Christ, crucify Him, crucify Him. You say, how do you know this? Because it tells us in the text later on in the sermon. 
Matter of fact, He calls them out on it. Do you know the courage that it would take? It's one thing for me to preach the gospel to people that are supposed to love me, (laughs) that do love me, that are supposed to love me. But it's quite another thing, totally different for someone to preach the gospel in front of thousands upon thousands of people that crucified the one that he's fixing to preach about. Not only that, but Peter is fixing to tell them something else. He stands with the other 11 disciples, apostles. He stands with the other 11 as 12 pillars of truth. Standing up on maybe a precipice or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us, but it was obviously some place where they could be heard, or Simon Peter could be heard. And he begins to speak truth. And he had 11 witnesses, testifiers there with him to back him up. Now that's hard to go against. It would be one thing if you had no witnesses and you were standing there preaching this. Like some of the religions of the world that have formed. That we will not go into. But it's quite altogether different when you have 11 11 other witnesses standing resolute by your side testifying to the truth of what Peter is saying. So here we have 12 standing against the 12 tribes of Israel. And the religious system. This is what we see. This is why we see the twelve there. This is why Matthias was added when Judas was taken away. Because the twelve represented the twelve tribes of Israel. But this was going to this was going to be a reconstruction because what had happened in the Jewish state was was heresy. It was terrible. Religion turned into idolatry and idol worship and all of this stuff. It was wicked. And so the Lord was going to scrap that. He was saying, no, this is how it should be. And so he chooses these 12 to be witnesses and the proclaimers of the truth as a witness and a testimony against the 12 tribes of Israel that were sinning. And so Peter is their spokesman. Once a simple-minded fisherman from Galilee... Now a powerhouse in Christ Jesus. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches God's Word. Imagine the scene. And he does it from the Old Testament. The Old Testament. Peter preached and the Spirit moved so heavily in this message that not only did it convict them, literally just tore their hearts open, but he was indicting them. They were convicted of murdering the innocent and true King of glory. And Peter tells them about it. 
You talk about wanting to get your head lopped off. He calls them murderers. Peter stands up. He's got 11 other brothers with him. <laughs> and 120 behind, or the, the rest behind him, whatever that is. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to tell you right now. He's putting the mark on his head. This is a fact. He indicted them. He charged them with something and then proved to them that they were guilty of killing an innocent and perfect man, Christ Jesus. I want you to imagine the scene before we even get into the text. Imagine the scene. All these different languages, nationalities gathered together at the day of Pentecost. All, to, all to coming to, to this, this wonderful celebration of first fruits, of the wheat harvest. And it weren't just regular men, but these were devout men. Men of understanding, men that knew God's Word. Men that served the Lord. Men that were there because they wanted to be righteous and serve Jesus. Or serve the religious system of the day. They were there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. From all over the world. You have the list of the different nationalities and the different, uh, the different languages and everything that was represented there. And we know that Peter, when, when all of this was heard, when Peter is speaking here this sermon, they are all hearing this sermon in their own native tongue. Matter of fact, the tongues here in this passage of Scripture is uh, translated out literally as languages. All over the world. And at the sound of the rushing mighty wind, the people gathered around, didn't they? They noticed and they stopped that there was a rushing mighty wind. There was a sound. Something took place and something happened. They noticed that something filled this house. That this 120 were singing, praising God. And and they could hear them speak the wonderful works of God. So they take notice and they gather around. It stops them from where they're at. It stops them and they turn to see what this is. At once Peter stands up with the eleven. I want you to think about it. You ever notice what it's like to be deathly quiet? Listen. Peter stands up, David. Did you just clear your throat? Comic relief. Classic David. Love it. That's why, that's why Tara married him. That's what it was. Peter stands up. They were confused. They were bewildered. Astonished. And so Peter 
empowered by the Holy Spirit, takes his stand. The eleven with him and the rest behind him. And this is what happens. He stands up face to face with the thousands of men and calls them all murderers of an innocent man. Talk about a crowd pleaser, right? That's a crowd pleaser for sure. If you want to see what true preaching is, what it's supposed to look like, we have it declared, we have it displayed here perfectly. And this is what so many churches have come away from. We cannot come away from speaking the truth about what happened to Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we cannot get away from the fact that you and I both shared in that murdering of that innocent man. Because it was my sin that he bore on that cross that put him there. True preaching. The job of the minister is no different today. It is still to preach the innocence of Christ, the perfection of Christ. The awesomeness of Christ who took on our our sin because we are the guilty ones. This is what Peter was doing when he stood up to preach on the day of Pentecost. And they heard him speak in their own native tongue. It was not gibberish. It was not babbling. They heard clearly. They heard eloquently. They heard beautifully the wonderful works of God. They heard themselves being convicted by a Galilean fisherman. And they took notice that he had been with the Lord. A Galilean fisherman holds the attention of thousands upon thousands of men. A pin drop. A mouse could have scurried through the room or or the outside where they were at and people would have heard it. This is how I imagine this passage of Scripture to have been played out as Peter stands. Just as Jesus, when he came and went onto the top of the mountain and gave the Sermon on the Mount, for three chapters he spoke, and you see zero interruptions. He spoke as one having authority. He spoke as one. He sat down as one having authority, and the people listened to him. Now here, Simon, he stands up, and he proclaims the goodness of God. He proclaims the wrath of God. He speaks out of the Old Testament. He speaks of Jesus. He speaks of the prophets. Condemning these men, women, and children that were gathered there. He preached the perfection of Christ. True preaching at its heart, at its core, is not to please people. Amen. It is not to counsel and give wise counseling sermons that make people feel good. The preaching of the Word of God is meant to slay. It is meant to cut and it is meant to hurt. 
to devastate and to destroy, to tear down and to break down the pride of man. Peter stands here. The others were not talking, but he was. It would have been his head on the block. He's going against the very religious system that crucified the Savior just 50 days before. This was still fresh. Still fresh. But he doesn't matter. Or he doesn't care. He's going to preach Jesus regardless. Listen to what it says. 14. I'm just getting to my text. (laughs) But Peter standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. What does it mean by lifting up his voice? It means that he lifted up his voice. He preached loudly. That's not a reason for me to shout it from the rooftops loudly as I can. But I get excited. I think that it should be evident in a minister that he is excited about the Word of God. He did not get up there with tongues of flowers, as I've said before. But clearly tongues of fire. (laughs) And he preached the Word of God. He lifted up his voice and he declared it. And he addressed them. Listen to what he said. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. The first thing that he's fixing to do is he's fixing to clear the air. Because they had already accused them of being drunkards. Oh, you're going to see a lot as we go through Acts. You're going to see the accusations. Then you're going to see the, the, uh, the imprisonments. And then you're going to see the floggings and the beatings. And then you're going to see the murderings of the apostles. Those that all the way through the scripture, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But the first thing that they say was they were all a bunch of drunks. This is what they were, a bunch of drunks. The mockers. They're nothing but a bunch of drunks. For these men in 15 are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. You will see in your notes in your Bible that that means 9 o'clock in the morning. Thank you, Shelton, for this cup that I borrowed from you yesterday. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day, 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter speaks up and he tells them first, they are not intoxicated. This was a, this was a silly accusation to begin with. It had zero weight. It had, it had no legs to run on. It was, it was crazy at best. Those that would have believed this, I, I mean... Really must have been truly just dead in their trespasses and sins because it was very common. I mean, this was known in Jewish tradition that you didn't even drink before the nine o'clock hour, before the morning prayers. That was unheard of, not only in the Jewish culture, but in the, in the East. 
before your prayers. This just wasn't something that you did, especially on a feast day. And there was reasons for it. Jewish tradition, Jewish theologians, they claim that they weren't even allowed to break open a wineskin before that hour. And the reason why is obviously because they didn't have Mike Bennett. They didn't have modern refrigeration. Now if that had Mike, he could have came up with a way to, to ice this down. But they didn't have ice. They didn't have a cooling system. And so on a feast day, especially on a feast day, when wine would have been brought out, it would have been saved to later on in the day for the festival. Not 9 o'clock in the morning. That's absolutely unheard of, according to Jewish culture. Because they couldn't keep it around. Some even say up until noon that they weren't allowed to break open the wineskins. There was no modern refrigeration, so once it was opened, it had to be drank. Second, the accusation makes no sense and has no weight whatsoever. And Peter is telling them this. When he says, it's but the ninth hour... They know exactly what he is saying. This was, this was just unheard of. So he really makes them look kind of foolish from the beginning of his sermon. He says, they are not drunk, as you suppose. It is the ninth hour. It's, it's nine, or the third hour. It's nine o'clock in the morning. This is crazy. It's asinine that you would say this. Verse 16. Let me get to my text. Let me, let me get to this. We've got to get this done. I'm going through 21. Listen to what it says, 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter declares what you see and hear is what Joel told us would happen in the last days or the days of the Messiah. How do we know that we're in the last days? We're here as a prophecy being fulfilled right here. Afterwards is what Joel says. Afterwards or in the last days. Listen to 16. But this, will, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Turn to Joel. If you, if, did, did you keep your place there? No? Yes? Maybe? Good, good. Turn back there if you want to for just a moment. Let's read this and let's go over it real quick. So Peter stands up and he preaches and and after he tells them that they're not drunk, he goes right to Old Testament prophecy. And he shares with them. He says, guys, this is exactly what's taking place is exactly what Joel the prophet was talking about. Joel chapter 2, 28 through 32. Listen to what it says. And it shall come to pass afterward or in the last days is what it means. Afterward there means in the days of the Messiah or in the last days. Okay, you have to understand that. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. People are preaching this text and preaching Acts chapter 2 as if that is going on right now. 
want us to understand that that went on 2,000 years ago. The Spirit of God was poured out and it is continuing to be poured out today. But that started 2,000 years ago. Joel prophesies this. Peter is saying, this is exactly what Joel was saying would happen. The Spirit of God would be poured out. Listen to what he says. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants. And this right here in verse 29 was really a big deal. Because it was for God's people all the way through the ages that, that, the, that the servants... They, they wouldn't receive things like this. But here in the last days, with the coming of the Messiah, that all would be called. The Jew and the Gentile. It didn't matter if they were a servant or a king. And so here we have this revelation coming to even the male and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel gives us the prophecy. You can turn back there to because it's, it's exactly the same. You can turn back there to Acts chapter 2. Joel gives us the prophecy. And what we are seeing is speaking about the time of Christ to the giving of the Spirit. Now pay attention to me. What Joel is saying and what, uh, what Peter is saying here is speaking about the times of Christ to the giving of the Spirit, to the destruction of the temple, all the way to the time of Christ's return. So there's going to be a parenthesis here around this prophecy. And you're going to have a long period of time in that parenthesis. And Peter is fixing to go over that. He says these things will happen in the future. That's what a prophet does. They will happen in the future. Well, guess what? It is unfolding right before these people's eyes. The Spirit is coming. The Spirit has come. It has it is, filled the room with the 120. Peter is standing up and preaching in tongues. This is clear evidence that we are living in the last days. And this happened 2,000 years ago. Peter testifies these things are being are taking place right now and they will continue to be fulfilled. Acts 2:17 Listen to what it says in the last days it shall be it shall be God declares I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is exactly what Joel said. This is exactly, Peter was quite literally in the middle of this prophecy as it was being fulfilled. And as you go through the prophecy, as you go through 17 through 20, 
Listen to what it says. In the last days it shall be God declares I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That was the giving of the spirit. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Not 2,000 years later. But when the giving of the spirit is given. How do we know this? We know it because Acts 21 and 9 and 10. Acts 9 and verse 10. Acts 10 and 17. Acts 22 and 17. Acts 26 and 19. Revelations 1 and 10. Acts 16 and 9. Acts 27 and 23. Acts chapter 2, 1 through 36. All declare that the giving of the Spirit and these things are coming to pass. We cannot get away from Scripture. This happened then. Joel's prophecy was taking place then. The scripture is full of it. All the way through the book of Acts, it is recording the acts of the apostles. And we see Paul's letters, we see Peter, we see all these different letters in the New Testament. And there's all these examples of prophecy of sons and daughters prophesying, young men seeing dreams, or young men seeing visions, and old men shall dream dreams, and the male servants, the female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Remember Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Was he not a servant? The Ethiopian eunuch, was he not a servant? And the Spirit of God was poured out upon him. You go all the way through the book of Acts and you see where this prophecy is coming to pass. Quite literally right in front of them. You particularly see this in 17 and verses 18. And then when you get into verse 19, what I believe, and others, what I believe is 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. In verse 19, I believe it to be, and I will show, or verse uh, 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. I believe in this passage of scripture in verse 19 that we're talking about 70 AD and the destruction of the Jewish temple. It was unlike anything that anybody had ever seen. Everything was turned upside down and the Jewish people were scattered. Blood. It was a mess. Then when we get down to 20, we see, and 21, we see the coming of the Lord. And so this prophecy extends from the time Christ came to the time that he Returns. Do you understand what I'm telling you? From the time he came to the time that he returns. So some of that has not yet been fulfilled. Listen to what it says. Verse 20, we see this in verse 20. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. When we see the great and magnificent day, we understand that to be what? The day of the Lord, His return. We've got to understand that 17 through 20 takes us from the time of Christ coming to the time of His return. 
from his coming to Pentecost, destruction of the temple, to his return. And in his return, the destruction of the temple that was turned over, we know that the spiritual temple is being built and it's still being built. He's still calling those unto salvation. And when those are done, he will return. And he will gather us from the four corners of the earth. And this is when this prophecy will be fulfilled in that great and magnificent day of the Lord. But I want us to listen. I'm almost done. Pay attention. Joel nor Peter leave us without giving us an explanation, an answer for how to avoid the great and magnificent day of the Lord when he returns in all of his glory. Joel says it and Peter say it. They both say it alike. But before we get there, Let's talk about the great and magnificent day of the Lord. Because whatever your view and whatever your stance is on that, it makes no difference or no never mind to me. One thing that I realize is that the Lord is going to return. On that we all agree. One thing that I also realize in that return is that the Lord will gather his saints. Whatever time that is, it does not matter to me. He will gather his saints, those that he called, those that he bled and died for, the elect of God. He will gather together unto himself. This I know. Those that have trusted in the name of Jesus Christ, he will gather together from the four corners of the earth. This I know. But... Second Thessalonians tells us. I've read this before. I'll read it again. Verses 8 and 9 in the, in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians. It says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer eternal eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Those that reject, those mockers that don't want to have anything to do with Him, they will experience, according to 2 Thessalonians, written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, they will experience eternal destruction for rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very thing that Simon Peter is standing up proclaiming right now. This is so important for the preacher to be able to preach the clarity and the truth of the word of God. Why? Because eternity depends on it. Eternity depends on it. Joel and Peter both tell us how to avoid this wrath that the Scripture teaches us is coming. Look at verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't care if it was 2,000 years ago. 
I don't care if it was in the Garden of Eden. This has been the same ever since the beginning when Adam and Eve fell. They knew they needed something. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter, we know as we go on through the rest of this text that I'm not going to go through this morning, but as we go through it, we know that the name of the Lord that he is speaking about is the very one that they crucified, Jesus Christ. He was righteous. He was awesome. He was perfect. He was loving. James and I talked. He might have even been funny. He might have had a sense of humor. He was like us, but was perfect. Born under the law to redeem us from the curse of the law. The name of the Lord is Jesus, the very person they slaughtered with wicked hands. The Bible tells us, and I'm going to stop right here. The Bible tells us, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be. Not might be, not may be, but shall be saved. For five years, I have preached from this pulpit. For five years, I have shared with you the whole counsel to the best of my ability, the whole counsel of God. Whether it be from predestination and election to what, to, to being, for us receiving Him by faith and the works that we're to do and, and all of the things. But I want you to know today that His return is imminent. Peter tells us we are in the last days. Joel marks the last days by the Spirit of God being given. So we know that we are in the last days. And I implore you, before His return, to look to the one that is able to save. There is none no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen. His name is above all names. Yes. His name is the highest. It cannot even be compared to any other name. Amen. What Jesus has done for you and me is so awesome and wonderful. This is what the people heard. This is why they were convicted because they heard the wonderful works of God. And I implore you this morning, I beg of you this morning to flee from the wrath that is to come. As Lot fleed, but his wife looked back, I beg of you this morning, these are real souls. Listen to me. For five years... Five years I've proclaimed the truth from this pulpit. Listen to what I'm telling you this morning. Jesus is coming back with his mighty angels and a flaming sword of judgment. And he's coming back to inflict wrath on those that do not believe the testimony that he gave. 
the testimony that's been given from one generation after the next, from one faithful minister to another, to another, to another. You say, I'm loud now. Wait until Jesus comes back and the eastern sky splits. We'll talk about loud. I'm telling you, his return is imminent. Peter tells us it's the last days. That was 2,000 years ago. You say, Pastor, he still ain't came back. And I've even heard I'm going to have three and a half years to get it right. Or I'm going to have this or I'm going to have that. Let me just tell you this. When it's over, it's over. When it's done, it's done. The sacrifice has been given. The proof has been made evident. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't get there and say that preacher didn't tell me this. He didn't tell me none of this. I'm telling you now. For five years, the gospel has been preached. I pray that you would repent for the kingdom of heaven. It's at hand. Let's pray.